There is something to be said about cooking outdoors. With a Camp Dutch oven and a pioneering spirit, you can cook just about anything. Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of fours base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate out from there. Please grab a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the American West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. A cast iron Dutch oven has been in use since the early 1700s. When I think of Dutch ovens, I conjure up pioneers in the American West with Lewis and Clark traveling across the Oregon Trail. This camp cooking tool provides wonderful options for those folks who love to cook outdoors. Joining us in this episode is Deborah with the Northwest Dutch Oven Society. What started in 1989 to help Boy Scouts earn their cast iron merit badge has turned into a nonprofit organization that now provides training seminars, demos, and workshops to reintroduce Dutch oven cooking as an alternative outdoor cooking method. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Deborah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So can you give me a little bit of uh, background information on your own personal journey into cast iron cookware and Dutch oven cooking? Absolutely. Um, I grew up with cooking in cast iron. I grew up in northeastern Oregon in a small rural town. So I always was around cast iron cookware. Uh, that was an extension of who I was. I don't know how to cook on anything else. Um, I actually burned things in Teflon. So about 15 years ago, uh, my husband had gotten my father-in-law a cast iron Dutch oven for outdoor cooking. And I was kind of intrigued with it. And I thought, hey, I like cast iron cooking. What is this? And started reading up on it. And I thought, I can do that. And so I watched um, down at the Sportsman Show here in Puyallup, Washington. There was a guy that was doing outdoor cooking. And I went down and watched him and came home and thought, I can do that in the snow, no cover, baked a cake, cobbler. <laughs> it didn't quite turn out great, but it turned out edible. And so it just took off from there. And I found the local club here out of Tacoma, kind of loosely based out of Tacoma. We say Northwest, but it had kind of become just a nucleus in that area, South Sound. And I've been trying to stretch it for quite a few years. Like we're having an event down. We try to go down to almost to Oregon, down I-5. We try to go north. We try to go east. Um, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. We're just trying to get all over the Northwest and promote Dutch oven cooking. So share with me a little bit what are some of the benefits using a, a camp style and Dutch oven? It's good for camping. You know, a lot of guys do do it in hunting camp, so that is camping, but um, it can be almost used as a slow cooker when you bury it in the ground. There's many different ways to utilize this utensil. You can cook on propane. You can cook with barbecue briquettes. You can cook with wood coals. You can put it in your house oven. You can put it on your stove top. It's a little precarious if you have a glass top stove. Those legs are not meant for that kind of a cooking surface, but it's very versatile. When the power's out, it's a great resource to have a hot meal. You can have a good meal even though the power's out. From my own research, you can roast, you can bake, mm -hmm. you can obviously potentially fry, you can sear. So you have all of these different options that you can do with a Dutch oven 
how does that work? Is it all just depending on where you place the coals? It is. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I do a lot of bread products. I'm a baker that was, I already made yeast breads from scratch. So manipulating them into the Dutch oven was um, a challenge for me. So that's what I enjoyed. And that's kind of been my niche um, in the, in the foray. I don't do many main dishes. My husband usually does those or other people I'm cooking with. They'll do the main dishes. Uh, baking is where you put coals on the bottom, but it's not as many as like, if you're trying to fry like a bunch of steaks or something or hamburgers you're gonna have a lot of heat on the bottom um, baking you're gonna have less on the bottom more on the top so you're just depending you have to manipulate your heat source to what you're trying to do when we roast meats we have um, some really large ovens and we can put a 25 pound turkey into one and do for thanksgiving and we have to replace coals every 45 minutes you know, because that's about how long barbecue briquette coals last for optimal baking and cooking time. Um, if you're doing wood, natural wood, firewood and burning it down, uh, it's very subjective. It's doable, obviously, because that's the way they did on the Oregon Trail and they did on the cattle drives, use the Dutch ovens in that capacity. So it just depends on what you're doing with it. So give me, what would you say is the good introductory like recipe or something for somebody who's just starting out to set them up for the greatest success? We always suggest a dump cakes or dump cobblers. So you take two cans of prepared pie filling, dump it in the bottom of your oven. You don't need to put any um, like spray or anything like Pam or oil it or anything like that. Put those two cans of pie filling in. So like say do peach pie filling, which is really wonderful. You take a dry white cake mix or yellow cake mix. You sprinkle it on dry. And I teach when I teach out at like sportsman shows and stuff, I'll say use a 12 ounce can of lemon lime soda, like a seven up or Sprite. And you pour it over the top of that dry cake mix. You don't mix it. And then you can heat it top and bottom. There's probably not, probably about 10 coals. Like if you have a 12 inch oven, 12 inch ovens, like your average sized oven that people start out with. And so you have about 10 coals underneath. You just want to get that fruit filling bubbling and it bubbles up through the uh, cake mix and into the water and the water kind of, or the Sprite, which is kind of your watery substance, something liquid, um, bubbles down through, makes a nice crisp crust and it's pretty hard to to fail that unless you put a lot of heat underneath and burn your pie filling because it does have a lot of sugar in it so then there's coals on the top which also helps bake from the top environments does that make sense absolutely so with a 12 inch dutch mm -hmm. how many you're saying 10 coals on the bottom and how many coals do you do on top and then how long cook time about 20 coals on the top um when we first start out a lot of people like to count coals because they're trying to calculate what the heat is going to be like I'm they're trying to get like a 350 degree oven to bake a cobbler I don't count coals anymore you kind of get a feel for it so I'd say 10 underneath 20 on the top there are formulas people use two up two down two up means you take the size of the oven which is a 12 inch oven a number 12 you take two off the bottom and put it to the top so you would have 10 underneath and 14 on the top but it doesn't always work because you've got weather to deal with, humidity, the wind might be blowing. And a lot of those things are meant for 70 degree ambient weather, you know, perfection. <laughs> so depending on what you're needing, if you need a 400 degree oven to roast meat and sear meat, you're going to have a lot of coals underneath to get that bottom oven hot. You're not going to use any on the top because you're not using the top heat to sear that meat. So just depends on what you're doing. You share with us about a meal that just backfired and didn't go as planned. 
I hope this doesn't sound bad, but my husband and I, I told him, I asked him, well, did we have something that really epically failed? Yeah. We we really can't think of anything that epically failed. We've had times where we've burnt our food, but it's always been edible or we got it a little too, you know, like my bread rose too t- close to the surface of the pot. And so it burnt on the top. You know, I just can't think of anything. We've had fruit cobblers get a little too overdone on the bottom because they stuck because we had a concentration of heat in the center. So it's it was a little bit. And we just kind of, you just kind of eat around that. <laughs> but I don't think anything has ever epically failed. Well, that actually speaks a lot of volumes that a Dutch oven, you know, I feel like for some, it looks very uh, intimidating. In actuality, it sounds like it's extremely forgiving. It is very, yes. It's the baking is probably the hardest thing. And like, you know, it's like a when you check the oven, you keep peeking, you lose heat. That happens when you lift the lid and look inside the Dutch oven to see what your dish is doing. But it's okay until you kind of get a feel for what that dish is going to be like every time you cook for consistency. When we would compete, we used to replicate that dish day after day. We'd we'd practice a couple times on a weekend, you know, replicating that dish. So we knew what it was going to do with this many coals, with this much time. So it kind of, you get a feel for it. Like I said, we don't count coals anymore, but there's, there's nothing wrong with that either. If that's, you're getting started, you got to have a comfort zone. Let's talk a little bit about cast iron care. I myself I'm a bit of a cast iron junkie and have for the last decade, that's all I'm using. <laughs> I am too. If your pan is very well seasoned, you know, there's, it's low maintenance. You know, it's, it's scrub it out with a little bit of hot water. Yesterday, my husband actually burnt <laughs> in the oven. He burnt his, uh, his brisket. It got a little crunchy on the side in the enamel pot. I put it back on the stove with water, boiled it out a little bit, used a wood um, paddle to scrape that, came right off. In your regular black seasoned pots as we call them if it's well seasoned just a little bit of water heated up or and we use a nylon scrubby something abrasive like a brillo pad or a grill a grill brush or something it's going to be too harsh on it it's going to chip off your seasoning but if you do that cast iron is forgiving and you just start over i just did that so this last summer we were driving across country and on the way back we made it to the Lodge Factory Outlet in oh, South Pittsburgh, nice. Tennessee. That's on my bucket list. <laughs> I picked up a factory second 12-inch outdoor Dutch oven, but it was pre-seasoned. And so I would run my fingers over the inside of it, and it really wasn't smooth. And basically stripped all the pre-seasoning off and really got it back down to smooth. And now I've just completely re-seasoned it all. You know, some uh, some people do have some really good luck with um, grinding them down. Um, some people just destroy them. So there is a fine balance of pushing too far into the iron when they're see- trying to grind that surface off. And it, or they do it with the wrong equipment and it becomes then just a piece of junk. My husband and I own an antique chuck wagon. So we go out and cowboy cook. So there's a, oh, th- sweet. there is a total different faction of... There's Dutch oven cooking for the mainstream, and then there's the kind of the extreme <laughs> on the cowboy side of it. Where do you guys do that with your chuck wagon? Well, um, we've had it about a year and a half, and um, we take it around locally. A lot of stuff I actually do end up doing in Oregon because there's really nothing in Oregon or Washington that, other than the sportsman show I did last year down here at Puyallup that just got done this last week, but um, they didn't have a camp cooking section this last year. So this last month with their um, show, which is kind of disappointing, but we'll have our wagon out. We're going to probably take it out to like the local Grange down here. Cause we're about a mile from a local Grange that I belong to. And we have, they have a huge parking lot. So, you know, cause it's 12 feet long and it's got a trailer and it's got, you know, 
10 feet of door that comes down that it rolls out of. And it's kind of, are fun. you doing like outdoor cooking classes or is it more like an, I'm going to say an old school food truck idea where you're just prepping and selling food. We don't sell food. We're not a caterer. We don't have a business license for any of that. Um, okay. We do cook for family and friends. So like I've, we did a wedding last um, June in Walla Walla, Washington, where we're from. Um, we had some family friends that were getting married and, and because it was on private property, we were allowed to cook for them without having the health department involved. Mm -hmm. When we do the sportsman shows down here, I had my chuck wagon down at the sportsman's show last February and uh, March, I went down to Redmond, Oregon and did the show. And we have to have a health permit to be able to pass out samples to the public. But we end up just doing donations. And a lot of times we were, were paid for that to come down. They pay for our food and our permit. And, and then we work for five days and we don't make any money at it. It's just a lot of fun. <laughs> it's just a hobby. Well, this is a good segue. Can you share with us about a memorable campfire that you've experienced? Well, we um, we go camping as a group. Our Northwest Dutch Oven Society we camp as a a group a couple times per the through the summer, and um, it's always it's just a food coma weekend. <laughs> we are trying dishes out on each other, trying to manipulate the Dutch oven. We do pizzas, and we actually cook the pizzas inverted the ovens are upside down with the little camp legs poking up to, towards the ceiling or towards the sky you know and using that as a different style um, I have ovens that don't have legs and we push the limit on how to how can we cook with those cast iron utensils out in a camping experience but I think the biggest thing is we have a guy and he just he was our past president he just passed away last year and he did a 14 inch cinnamon roll in a 14 inch Dutch oven. It's one large cinnamon roll. It was phenomenal. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It was it is so good. So I think out of the Dutch oven, I think my favorite is cinnamon rolls. And you know, and sometimes I cheat and I get like Rhodes rolls out of the freezer case and yep. yeah, bake yeah, them in my little oven. It's a quick thing, you know, especially when you're camping, it's you know, you don't want to make yeast bread from scratch, but sometimes I do. <laughs> That's really, that's amazing. Yeah. With regards to Dutch oven cooking, what would you say is the biggest kind of lesson that you learned? Oh, what lesson would I have learned? I think patience. It's lessons, patience. Um, I get in a hurry. I'm trying to get my coals going. I'm trying to get everything executed and perfection and trying to get it out all on time. And if we're all doing a meal together, people come in and cook at different paces, if you will. So this guy over here is like, oh, I'm not in a hurry to get my vegetables chopped for my stew. And I'm going, you got to get done. You got to get done. So <laughs> it's taught me a little bit of patience and that you can probably always have something edible to come out of the Dutch oven. <laughs> you know, even if you think it's going to fail, eh, it might not be all the way done in the center. Well, we'll just eat around that and keep it cooking, you know. Okay. Well, we talked a little bit about the Northwest Dutch Oven Society, but can you share with us how it started and kind of what's the mission and goal and sure. how many gatherings happen and that kind of information. Absolutely. Um, the club actually started in 1989. Um, it, there was some scout masters and Dutch oven cooking is big in Boy Scouts, I guess, and Girl Scouts. And I think they even have a badge that you have to earn. So they were teaching leaders, Boy Scout leaders, how to Dutch oven cook for their their students, you know, the scouts. And so someone got wind of that in the public and said, hey, we want you to teach us. We're not in scouts, but we want to learn also how to cook in Dutch ovens. And so they started this little club 
1989 and it's been going for all this time. <laughs> it was a lot bigger. Um, right now it's kind of small, but we just go out and try to do once a month an event of something. Either it could be a public event, like we do, we call them dogs, Dutch Oven Gatherings, so D-O-G. They're dogs. <laughs> so we'll have a dog once a month and it's just basically a potluck. Everybody takes their gear, loads up their truck, gets to the place, unloads, and it's all this like kind of like get back and it all falls out you know there's tables and there's easy ups and there's pots and there's ingredients and there's the cooler with you know drinks in it and you know what all we need to be self-sufficient and everything and everybody comes and cooks and then we have a potluck you know and socialize and there's where we try to bring dishes that we don't try to cook the same thing but we have a few people that that's their comfort level that's all they cook is the same dish every time they're always good it's always welcomed and we like that. Sometimes we go out, like I said, we've been at Cabela's. It's been since pre-COVID, they've not invited us back. <laughs> I'm not sure what, you know, Bass Pro trying to get out to the public. We've done some sportsman shows that shut down this year with them not doing a camp cooking environment. Uh, we do private classes. So like, say, sometimes the Dutch Oven Society, they'll call and someone will say, hey, I saw you at the show. I want you to come out and cook for my family. And we're like, okay, you know, this many people. We'll provide the food or you buy the food and we'll come out and cook. And then they donate something to the society. We don't keep any of that money for ourselves. Nobody personal gains off of it. And at the end of the year, we go, hey, we got so much money in the bank account. Let's give it to a charity. You know, that's and we just keep enough to print some business cards and keep our website running. So if people want to participate and come to one of the Dutch oven, the Dutch oven gatherings, mm -hmm. Uh, where can they get information about that? We have a website. It's um, nwdos.com. We have a Facebook page, Northwest Dutch Oven Society. Uh, we have a little YouTube channel, but and I've got some videos on there, but I was looking at one today and it's like we need to redo some stuff on there, but that's okay. Um, so the website would have our, our calendar on it and our Facebook has events. So you can find that. Everything's open to the public. So if we post it, it's a public event and you see it on our Facebook group, and it's an event, you're welcome to come. And there's no cost. We just want you to come. And a lot of times we'll tell people, hey, if you want to come and you don't want to cook, you just want to come and participate, just bring something for the potluck, bag of chips, bottle of water, you know, something to share and be a part of it. And if you want to cook, but you don't have a pot, tell us what you're going to try to make and what size of oven you need. We'll bring extra ovens. I have 45 Dutch ovens in my garage that I use varying sizes from a number five which is a really small individual size I have one in my house that's 22 inches wide and weighs 160 pounds empty it's that's a beast we cook big pots of chili in that for like events and stuff <laughs> so you know we don't always take that everywhere so we have stuff available if anybody needs it all the gear will help you cook we'll help you figure out your coals we like a challenge we like to talk to people about it <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to make it down I would like to ask, is there anything that we haven't covered that maybe we should? Getting started with Dutch oven cooking is, can be a little overwhelming with looking at all the gear and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I need a table and I need a Dutch oven and I need, you know, tongs and I need lid lifters and I need all these things. We kind of teach when we, when we do teach, we come out with an old school kind of method. Um, there are tables professionally made by Lodge or Camp Chef, which is like the two big suppliers that provide camp ovens. There's other brands and stuff, but those are like the, probably the most mass produced ones. 
tables are steel tables. We have guys that have custom welded their tables, if that's what you're into. But you just need a cooking surface that's not going to flame up and catch something on fire. So like if you're in a park or an area in a gravel lot that's got like a lot of pine needles or something, you don't want to catch that on fire. Kind of not our goal. <laughs> it's kind of cooked food, not not the property. So I would say what we take, what I take is I take an old milk crate, a metal milk crate, and I put an old cookie sheet on it. I can set my Dutch oven on that. That's a fireproof table. So you don't need a $130 Camp Chef table to cook on for the first time. You know, because I had a friend buy all of the equipment. He bought everything, used it once, and it sat in his garage. And it was a huge investment. And then he was disappointed that he didn't use it. So I tell people, don't, don't do that. Buy an oven that's going to fit like your family for one dish. Say a 12 is like common to... You know, it's the most common size. It's number 12. Feeds four to six people, depending on what you're cooking in it. You know, like if it's a casserole or a soup, it's going to obviously feed six to maybe even eight. But if you're baking something, it's going to be a little bit less. So a 12 is a nice size. My husband and I, when we go camping, we use a size eight and 10, you know, for him and I. So just kind of tailor it. But if you've got a big bunch of kids, you might need a 16 inch oven. <laughs> you know, you got camping and you're going to have a nice big casserole or Although my kids don't like casserole, that's that is uh, French for yuck. I heard. <laughs> so you know, but you're going to need a few implements like lid lifters. There's a special one at the store or in the Dutch oven department. You can use a claw hammer, just anything to lift that off of there. You're going to need some kind of tongs to move coals around with, and some welding gloves because you need something that because that iron is very hot and holds for a long time. You know, just those are some basics, just some little basics that you really need to have. And when I'm cleaning, you know, people go, well, how do you clean your cast iron? And we did kind of touch on that. There's the controversy of soap. I'm like, whatever feels comfortable to you. Some people use soap. Some people don't. We're no, we're not going to tell you you have to use it or you don't have to use it. You know, uh, reseasoning. People are like, well, what oil is best? You said you said grapeseed, right? I've never used grapeseed. I'm a Crisco kind of gal. <laughs> you know, it's what I grew up with. Crisco works. So each oil has a smoke point. And what you're doing is putting a micro thin layer of oil on your pan, your cast iron cookware, inside, outside, upside down. I always tell everybody because you want every little crevice coated with oil because it'll rust. And you want to preserve that and by coating it with the oil and then bake it to the just above the oil's smoke point. So say I know that like vegetable oil is 350. So like if I'm using vegetable, I want to bake it at 360 to 375 and let it bake for an hour. I just want it to come up to that smoke point. That's when that oil polymerizes onto the cast iron surface. And that's your layer. Can't get the oil too thick or then you get those little sticky spots. And I think that's what happens to people and they get real frustrated with that. And then they're like, this is junk and it's in the thrift store bin or it's in the trash bin, you know, because they get frustrated with it. So there is some things you kind of have to learn, but that comes through experience. You learn, you do it wrong, you start over. That's the nice thing about cast iron. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us here on RV Out West. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's kind of cool. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. To help the show grow, please share with your RVing friends and family about this podcast. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, please contact me via rvoutwest.com.
It's just about springtime here in the Pacific Northwest, and that means it's time to uncover our RVs and start hitting the road. In our next main episode in two weeks, I chat with a professional driver who hauls big loads with a semi-truck, and she shares with us how to be safe when towing and offers some great tips, tricks, and suggestions to make our RVing and towing a little bit easier and a little bit safer. Now, get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.